Our Old Testament lesson this morning is uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. This is a, um, a book that comes uh, at the end of Moses' life, and as the people are getting ready to go into the promised land, having left Egypt and then spent 40 years in the wilderness uh, before going into the promised land. And now, as they are about to go in, this is, uh, this is a part of what is told uh, to them. This is Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 20. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear as we hear your word read and proclaimed. Lord, we ask that you would give us minds to understand and hearts that are ready to receive this message into our lives today. I pray that you would help us to see more clearly um, every situation we are in as you see it. I pray that you would help us to see more clearly all the uh, people around us as you see them. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see uh, all of life and all of creation more and more from your perspective. And Lord, in the areas where we still do not see clearly yet, I pray you'd help us to trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so we may obey it? No. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and if you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. This is the end of um, an amazing chapter where Paul is describing to the Corinthian church um, more about the resurrection and what that is um, what that is like and why we have confidence in that because of Jesus. Starting in verse 50, though. It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we are uh, continuing our series in the uh, book of John. We're in John chapter 5, verses 16 uh, through 30. And this is a passage where Jesus gives us uh, a kind of a, a verbal riddle or a kind of a word not. And so there are places in... Uh, there are places in the Bible, like, for example, we'll get to this in a couple weeks. This is uh, John 6, 16, 17. It just says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And you go, hmm, what does that mean? Well, it means when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. As this is what it says. That's what it is. And we don't have big uh, troubles of interpretation there. That is um, that's different than what we're going to have this morning. <laughs> what we have this morning is Jesus trying to convey to people who just almost can't even possibly imagine what in the world he's talking about. And yet, he tries to tell them. And so as we read this, uh, it's, it, it is a challenge. And so it's the kind of passage where you read it and you go... I don't know what that was. And you have two choices. You either read it again and again and again, or you just go, whatever, and move on. And you try to find some part that's clearer. But this is one where you're going over it again and again is, is certainly advisable. Um, because what Jesus is saying is, is big stuff. Um, there are people who will say that Jesus uh, was a good teacher. He was a great guy but he was in no way God. Now, that's not what we believe, and uh, they say, well, but he never claims to be God. There's nowhere. Show me in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God. And does he ever say those words? No. And so like, see, checkmate. <laughs> and we say, you have clearly misunderstood how this works. Because one of the things that John has been showing us the whole way through in this particular uh, book is that Jesus is God. And it, the way that it shows us this, and this is what Jesus is showing over and over and over again by the things he says and by the things he does. And so we see him doing things that only God can do. And we see him saying things that only God would be able to say. And we say, no, wait a second. Do you really have to see Jesus saying, I am God? No, you don't have to see that. Because he's showing you in every possible other way that this is who he is. This is God in the flesh. And so I'm going to give you, um, I think, a little illustration maybe help out before we get into this, uh, 
this passage is just, you hear it and you go, wait, start over. Um, and that is this. Have you ever had one of those let me show you moments where you're trying to teach someone how to do something by just explaining it to them and you explain it to them and then you watch them do it and you're just shaking your head the whole time like, no, that's not what I'm, no, no, no. And so you keep correcting them again and again and finally you're like, no, no, let me, let me start over. And you just keep on explaining it to them and you're watching them do it and you're like, how can they mess this up so badly? Anybody had this experience? You may have been on the other side of it, I don't know, but if you've ever had this experience, there usually will come a moment where finally you just, in frustration, you're like, okay, let me just show you. <laughs> you know, me telling you again and again, you're not getting it. I don't know why you're not, but you're not getting it. Let me show you how to do it, right? I like to think of that show me, let me show you moment as when your word becomes flesh. As when what you have been saying, it's the same thing that you've been saying. But now you're presenting it in a way in which they can see it and they can touch it. They can feel it. When John says that Jesus is the word becomes flesh, like that's who Jesus is. This is John chapter one. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That you have a whole Old Testament where God is telling people, telling people, this is what it means to have life in me and to have life with me, for me to be your God and for you to be my people and for life to go the way that it's supposed to go. And people take all of that and go all kinds of wrong directions with it. And he says, finally, not as an act of frustration, he said this from the beginning, this was the plan, but he says, let me show you. And so when we have that understanding of who Jesus is, what he's about to say makes a lot of sense. But for people who don't even have that as a category, it doesn't make sense at all. So uh, this is, to set the stage, a time in which Jesus had just healed somebody on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath, of course, was a day that was supposed to be for rest. You were not supposed to do any work. And we talked about that last week, how that is a good thing that was given that people are, it's one of the top Ten, you know, the Ten Commandments, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, that is one of those. And that Jesus does not do away with that, so we only have nine commandments now. But that is a good thing for us. And yet, what we see is uh, people had misunderstood what it meant to rest on the Sabbath. And so uh, they see Jesus healing somebody, and they begin to persecute him. And then a bit of talking, it gets worse. So here we go. This is John chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. So because Jesus was doing these things, what things? Healing people. Uh, Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. 
Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom, to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in, the gra- in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. All right. As I say, this is one of those where there's a lot of, it's like a, a big rope knot that you're trying to sort of untangle. Wait, who is, we did an exercise uh, at our last session meeting. I read through Romans chapter 12. And among the questions that we asked, one of them was, you know, try to sort out when it is that Paul is talking to individuals and when he's talking to the whole church. So which, which of these verses, which of these commands, which of these sayings is specific to individuals and which one is to the whole church? And I, I challenge you to do this. It's fun. It's Romans chapter 12. Go for it. Here's the thing. Most of the time, it's really hard to distinguish between the two because every time that he's talking to individuals, it is as a part of the whole. And every time he's talking to the whole, it's a whole that's composed of individuals. And so, well, does this one apply to this or that? It's kind of both. I mean, they're so interconnected. And when we read what Jesus is talking about between himself and the Father, we're like, it's, it's so interconnected. And so, um, when, we, when we get to passages like this, a lot of times we're coming to it, you know, we're coming to it 2,000 years after he said this. There's been a lot of uh, talk theologically since then. We've given words to this sort of thing. Um, and we have this idea of, you know, the Trinity, the tri-unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, who are three persons in one God. And we have ways of talking about this. But I think it's important to just go back and listen to how Jesus describes this. And yeah, it gets tricky and trying to sort out, wait, what is this? But the idea is that they are distinct and yet they are one. And that on the one hand, you can kind of sort out a little bit. On the other hand, you can't ever separate. And so when Jesus talks about, you know, if you're honoring me, you're honoring him. If you're honoring, you know, if you dishonor me, you dishonor him. It's so united. And this is important because you have people who will say, look, I'm all for talking about God in general, but don't talk about Jesus. Now, again, if we understand Jesus as the word in the flesh, the let me show you, if we understand that he is fully human and fully divine, that he is fully united with God, you can't say, yes, give me God, but don't give me Jesus. 
That goes together. They cannot be separated. At the same time, you can't say, yes, give me Jesus, but don't give me the Father. That doesn't work either. They're so united. And this is uh, a part of what, I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about. And the ways, of course, in which he talks about it uh, are also instructive for us. For example, what was the issue that brought all this up? He's healing on the Sabbath. And people are saying, no, no, you cannot do any work on the Sabbath. Maybe you've experienced this. I've definitely had this experience with my children. Uh, Where you get to that point of having explained to somebody, here's what to do, and they're not getting it. And so then you go and say, here, let me show you. And you show them what to do. And you're doing exactly what you said. And they're like, no, it's not like that because you said, (laughs) I know what I said (laughs) and I know what I meant. You heard what I said, and you have no idea what I meant. (laughs) And that's why you're going to try to correct me now on this? Anyway. uh, But that's exactly what the Jewish leaders were doing with Jesus, is God has been saying, here's what this is about. And then Jesus comes in and says, let me show you. This is what this is about. And they're like, no, it's not. (laughs) Because God said, he's like, I know. (laughs) I know what I said, and I know what that actually means. And so uh, you have Jesus tells the parable, the Good Samaritan. And you have uh, the people, and we know about the Good Samaritan, which nobody would have used those words in that context, but it's what it was. You have uh, the outsider who actually stops and helps, and Jesus is like, this is the one who's actually loving his neighbor, right? Well, who were the ones that didn't love their neighbor? It was the ones who were very, very concerned about making sure that uh, they were following all of God's rules, right? That was the whole issue of that parable is uh, that you have people who are going to make sure they're following God's rules, and yet somehow, by trying so hard to follow the rules, they've actually missed the reason the rules were given in the first place. They've missed what they were all to be about. And so they pass by somebody who is in need and who needs in, in need of help in order uh, to you know, continue their priestly duties, to stay pure as a Levite. This is what's at issue with the Sabbath. Jesus tells us, you know, the, uh, that the Sabbath was given for man, or was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? That it is good for us, and we ignore it to our own uh, harm. At the same time, uh, when, you know, he says, you know, if you have an ox that falls into the pit, you know, whatever, <laughs> he explains it. It's like, you're going to pull it out. You're going to be like, well... See you tomorrow. You know, maybe I'll help you then, but I'm supposed to be resting right now. No, you wouldn't do that. In the same way, when he sees somebody who is, uh, who is in need of help, is he going to help? Of course he is. And the way that he explains it, though, is he says, my father is always at work this very day. He said, does God work on the Sabbath? Doesn't Genesis say that he doesn't? Well, it says on the seventh day he rested, Right? And in Exodus, it tells us that's why we're to rest. This is the model he's given for us. And yet, I read in a commentary that said that even the Jewish people in that day understood, no, God is still working on the Sabbath. And one of the ways you know this is because uh, babies are born on the Sabbath. And God is the only one who gives life. And so if, if babies are born on the Sabbath, God must be working on the Sabbath. But what is it that God is doing on the Sabbath? And we talk about this in uh, in Genesis 1, 
of this idea of, you know, days one through six, or he's getting everything set up, and day seven is when now everything is set, and so he sits down on his throne to rule and to reign over his good creation. And so what he's doing on this seventh day are things that are in keeping with the purpose for which he created everything. And Jesus says, I'm doing the same thing. And that's what we're all to be doing. On the Sabbath day, you're to rest from any sort of uh, building of your own kingdom in order to uh, remind yourself why it is that you exist at all. What this whole thing is about, what it is that we're to be doing. And then to do things in line with that. And so this is, uh, you know, last week was kind of a make sure that we are taking Sabbath. Today, this week, we're saying, and as you're taking that Sabbath, don't go so far like the Pharisees and, uh, and take it to where you say, I cannot do the things that God wants me to do because, you know, he wants me to take a day off. No. But it wasn't just the breaking of the Sabbath. This is important. They thought he was breaking the Sabbath. No, he was showing them what Sabbath's about. But secondly, that got them to persecute him. But he said something further that made them want to kill him. And this is the making himself equal with God. Right? And then in the explanation of all this, and he talks about how as the father raises the dead, he says, even the son is going to give life. Right? And then he takes that and ramps it up even further, not just giving life uh, initially, but even goes on further uh, down the road and talks about resurrection and how all this is in himself. He talks about the judgment and how this has been given to him by the Father. But this is simply this. Those who uh, accept the Son and those who reject the Son. That is what provides the judgment. Verse 24. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So he kind of wraps it all together in one. The giving of life, uh, the escaping judgment. It's crossed over from death to life. It's all in Jesus. This is who he is. Now, that is one way in which this passage has to do with us, to be sure, is uh, do we hear his word? Do we believe him who sent him? Or not? And then, here's the second way in which this really hits home for us. Uh, give you two more. But anyway, here's the other. This is uh, verse 30. No, verse 29. Uh, when people are coming out of the graves, it says, those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And we say, wait, 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 wait. Did you say that it's on the basis of what we're doing? I thought this was by grace. I thought this wasn't about what we're doing, that we're not earning our salvation. 
What is Jesus saying here? Here it is. Salvation is by grace, through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And yet, as you've heard before, um, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone, right? In other words, when Jesus is talking about here, he says, um, by myself I can do nothing. He says that a couple times through here. By myself I can do nothing. It's all in his connection with the Father. What the Father does, the Son also does. This language should sound familiar to us from actually later in this very book when John tells his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because I am the vine, you are the branches, right? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what are the, what are the two options there? The one is bearing a lot of fruit and the other is nothing. And so you look at this and you read that again, um, those who have done what is good and those who have done what is evil. And there you have it. Well, how is it that you did what was good? It wasn't on your own. It's by being united to Christ, right? And so the very things that he is doing, he's saying, let me show you how to live, right? This is what life is to be about. Let me teach you. You follow me. You be my disciple. Does this kind of language sound familiar? <laughs> I hope so. And so we start doing these things uh, that Jesus does, not because we are trying to earn our salvation, but because we believe who he is. And we believe him who sent him. And we hear this word and we say, if this is what life is really about, then yes, I want in. I want that kind of life. And if we say, no, I think I know better, and we try to do our own thing, it ends up being called evil. In fact, in Matthew, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about uh, those people who say, oh, but Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, yes, but I never knew you. Dep- uh, away from me, you evildoers. And it's things that people are doing, like casting out demons and performing many miracles. And he says, yes, and even those things are considered as evil because you were doing them apart from me. And apart from me, you can do nothing. It's the same language. The same language that Jesus is saying with his connection to the Father is the same kind of uh, connection that he's saying is now to be offered from himself to us. That the life that we have, we have not apart from him, not just as a distinct separate gift from him, like here is your gift, now go enjoy that. (laughs) But it's an offer of a life with him and through him. In... Second Peter, he puts it this way. Second Peter chapter 1, starting verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then it goes through a whole list of what to add into your life in increasing measure. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. That this is what our lives should be uh, looking like in increasing measure. 
as we continue to grow and to bear fruit as we stay connected to Jesus. In fact, the way that Jesus talks about his connection to the Father, and we look at that and we say, well, we try to sort it out. Well, which things are the Father? Which things are the Son? And what's unique to the one and not the other? And what do they have in common? And it gets really tricky because they are so closely united. This is how tricky it should be (laughs) to figure out what we are doing in our lives, what our lives are like as they are connected to Jesus. Well, was that, was that you doing that, or is that Jesus doing that through you? You know, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it's that connected that my life is in him. And so as I live, it's him living in me and through me. And so trying to sort that out, you know what? Stall him, you know? That's what it comes down to. And that sorting it out really isn't the issue anymore. It's just a living a life in him as the one who knows what life is all about. Now, I will point out one other thing in that kind of middle paragraph there. Jesus referred to himself in two different ways. He actually does several things here. This is verses 24 to 27. He refers to himself both as the son of God and the son of man in the same passage. Let you think on that one. But I want to point out that when he calls himself the son of man, this is verse 27, he's given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. This is one we talked about a lot on Wednesday nights, but it's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7. When you have this vision of all these beasts that are ruling over and trampling over God's good creation and over his people, And one after another, it just gets more terrifying until then you have this one who's like a son of man. And it is this one who is like a son of man, this human one to whom God gives all authority and power and, to, and glory and honor. And people of every language, and they're all going to worship him. And his kingdom will never end. And uh, Read Daniel 7. It's good stuff. This is what Jesus is talking about that he is the true human one who shows us the way to live. This is why he has the authority to do these things, because he is the place, he is the person where heaven and earth meet. And this is why he has authority to do these things, to give life, to make judgments. But it's also why, for all of us, life is to be found in him. This is something we do individually, but it's also something we do together. In a little bit, we're going to um, celebrate the Lord's Supper, otherwise known as communion. And it is a special time and place where we do uh, remember our connection and celebrate our connection, experience our connection between ourselves and Jesus and ourselves and each other. Uh, As we do that, let us remember who it is that makes this all possible. That we would live our lives in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.